The words of God that we consider for our sermon today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of our God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. One common thing that the Bible, or one common theme that the Bible repeats time and time again is this, appearances can be deceiving. The prime example of appearances being deceiving is looking at Jesus on the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, it looks for all the world that he has been defeated. Yet according to God's plan, he is the victor. By taking away all of our sins on the cross and then subsequently rising from the grave on Easter Sunday. But the Bible is not the only book that has a monopoly on this particular theme, and it can be found in the world today that appearances can be deceiving, although you've got to know where to look. One such example is a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist who survived the Nazi death camps in World War II. While he was in those Nazi camps, he came to the realization that he and he alone was the only one who could control how he responded to the treatment that he received. And so no matter what the horrors of that treatment were, when Viktor Frankl chose to respond in a positive manner, he became an inspiration for many, both other prisoners, but even the guards as well. And if someone were to look at Viktor Frankl in one of those World War II prison camps, they might wonder, who is the real prisoner? Today we have another account from the Bible that's very similar to that, where we might ask ourselves that, that very same question, who are the real prisoners? Because here you have Paul and Silas chained and beaten, and yet they're praying and singing hymns to God. Who are the real prisoners? 
And yet, despite much of the attention being focused on Paul and Silas, there really is another prisoner in the story, a prisoner of a different sort. And his story is one we should pay attention to because his story is also our story. Because we too have been imprisoned by the same thing that the jailer once was. And it's the question that that he really asked that we should be asking ourselves. It comes back to who is the real prisoner. Now, Paul and Silas got themselves into this mess because of a dream that Paul had. They were doing their missionary journey in modern-day Turkey, and then Paul had this dream because they were trying to figure out where God wanted them to go next. And it was a dream of a man from the the region of Macedonia, which is now modern-day Greece, And so Paul and Silas took this as a sign from God to sail across the Aegean into Greece, and what did this get them? Nothing more than being thrown into prison. For it was in Philippi, a colony for retired Roman soldiers, that that Paul found himself, and since there was no synagogue in Philippi, he went down to the river and started up conversations with whoever was there. Some of those people who were there were some women one woman in particular by the name of Lydia. And it was Lydia who allowed Paul to be able to use her house as his home base of sorts as he went about in Philippi preaching and teaching the good news about Jesus. And he gained quite a following among slaves and free alike. But there was one slave in particular, a slave girl that really got his attention And that was because this slave girl was corrupted by a demon, possessed by a demon. And this demon had the special ability to be able to tell the future. And so you can obviously understand that the owners of this particular slave girl were very excited when this demon would possess their slave and be able to tell the future. They could make a lot of money this way. Paul, being the nice guy that he is and not wanting a demon singing his praises, cast the demon out of this slave girl. You can obviously understand why this caused a stir among the owners. They had lost their way of making a living from this slave girl, and so they stirred up the magistrates in the city and convinced them that Paul and Silas were dangerous men, and it was here that they were able to get him thrown into prison. They told the jailer that here was some dangerous criminals. And the jailer, probably thinking nothing more of it, it, did what he was trained to do. He shackled them up and took them into the deepest, darkest cell in the local jail. And this probably happened sometime in the afternoon. You remember hearing when it was that the account we just read happened? About midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So for the better part of a day, from the afternoon into the evening, up until midnight or so, Paul and Silas, they were not whining or complaining about their lot in life. They were not shaking their fists at God and saying, what are you wanting us to do? They were praying. They were singing hymns in this dark cell. They were acting not like prisoners would act. So we should ask that question, who were the real prisoners? 
because then a violent earthquake came. Not uncommon for that part of the world, and yet God used this particular earthquake for his purpose. The very foundations of the prison shook. The doors were thrown off their hinges. The chains on all the prisoners were loosened. Some might think that this was God helping Paul and Silas to have a jailbreak like he did for Peter in Acts chapter 12, but Paul and Silas didn't move. And it's not because they were afraid of the dark. It was because God had another intention in mind to set free another kind of prisoner. And that prisoner was sleeping in his bed when the earthquake came. And he was startled awake by the earthquake. It was the jailer. And so he, he quickly rushed to the jail to find the, the, the foundation being shaken, the doors being thrown off their hinges. And he couldn't see into the dark, but he could only imagine that all the prisoners had escaped. And so he was going to do the only honorable thing left to do, fall on his sword and die. But then a voice came from the darkness. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Could this be the voice of the dangerous criminal that had been put in his custody only hours before? The man who acted like no prisoner that he had ever put into custody before? He did not curse. He did not cry. He was not obstinate. So the jailer called for lights and saw that it was as the man had said. Just imagine the gamut of emotions that the jailer went through in a matter of minutes. Startled, terrified, surprised, afraid. Now Luke, the author of Acts, adds one more. He was trembling. These emotions had taken its toll on the jailer, who had been prepared to meet his maker. And at such a time like this, Paul was so unusually calm that the jailer had to ask the question that each and every one of us should ask. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This was not a question of someone asking to do some great work to save himself. If it were, Paul would have had a different answer. No, this was a question of a man shaken to his core, a man who knew his inability to change his circumstances, a man who needed to hear the words of the gospel, and that's exactly what Paul gave him. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. It took an earth-shaking miracle to free the jailer, who was the real prisoner. Now, earth-shaking miracles still happen today. But they're not an earthquake the likes of one that happened in Philippi. And yet the miracles are just as great. It happens every weekend when we come to church, when we confess our sins and receive the forgiveness of our sins. It's a miracle that happens any time we celebrate a baptism. Because in baptism, God works another earth-shaking miracle right before our eyes. Through the simple water connected with God's word, the Holy Spirit comes and plants the seed of faith into your heart. Not potential faith, but actual faith. 
And so the same God who breathes out the stars and makes the earth quake, the same God who can raise people from the dead can and does certainly work through baptism. And through that miracle of baptism, God connected us with another baptism, the baptism of Jesus. The book of Hebrews records that Jesus was made like his brothers in every way. And Corinthians says, we were buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God. It was this earth-shaking miracle we needed to free us from our bondage to sin. Because it doesn't matter how good we are or how good we think we are. It doesn't matter how much we've done or how much we think we have done. We all need baptism. We all need a freedom from sins because we are the real prisoners, prisoners to sin. Like King David said in the Psalms, we were sinners from the time of our conception because each and every one of us were born of two sinful parents. Sometimes we can get this mistaken idea that we are the ones in control of our sin because we're the ones who can, who can control our anger. We're the ones who can control our addictions. We, we're the ones who control how much we worry. But really, that's the opposite way around. It is sin that controls us, not us controlling sin. As the Bible says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And it doesn't matter if you're an adult. It doesn't matter if you're an infant. You are equally a slave to sin. You are equally dead in sin. So now realize that earth-shaking miracle called baptism and how it connects us to this earth-shaking Savior. Because he literally shook the earth when he rose from the grave. He shook us from death to life. Apostle Paul records, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. The earth-shaking miracle that saved the jailer is the same earth-shaking miracle that saves you also. And yet that's not the end of the story. The physical prisoners were brought out of the jail by the one who was the real prisoner, the jailer. The jailer had now been freed from his own spiritual prison cell of guilt, of shame, of sin by this earth-shaking miracle. That was not all. He brought Paul and Silas out of the prison into his own home and set a meal before them, and yet even this meal of physical food was not the most nourishing meal served that night. Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. It was this food of the word of God that caused the jailer and his whole family to believe, to be baptized and rejoice, to rejoice that Jesus came for all because that was what Paul's missionary journeys were all about, that Jesus was not just a savior for the Jews but for all people. Because while we have been connected with Jesus through our baptisms, You must remember that baptism is not this magic formula that makes us set for life. Just like the little seeds need food and water, so also the seed of faith planted in baptism needs to be nourished, nourished with life-giving food. With no food, our faith can be snuffed out. 
This is where we receive our food from as well, when God's word is preached just like it was for the jailer. Now one of the passages I always go back to is a passage from Romans, which says faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word of Christ. It's a great reminder for me, and it should also be a good reminder for you of the importance of hearing God's word. For it is the word of Christ that nourishes souls. We wouldn't dream of skipping a day worth of meals, let alone a whole week. And so we should not be ever considering that that one hour a week here in worship is the only time that we'll actually open up a Bible. Because the more we open up our Bibles, the stronger our faith is going to be. Conversely, the less we open up our Bibles, the weaker our faith is going to be and the quicker we will go back to that prison cell that our sins held us in. I don't know about you, but I can find it incredibly difficult to say, I'll read the Word of God when I have time or when it's convenient to me. Because inevitably, something will always take its place. Which is why I always need to remind myself to set time for it. Just like anything else, we must be proactive in setting that time to be nourished by this life-giving food. Yet not just for you, but for your family as well. For if you're not proactive about it, it likely won't get done. Versus when it becomes a habit, then it does get done. Now appearances can be deceiving in life. Life may seem to be great, Your family is great. Your job is great. Friends are great. But if God is not present, it doesn't matter how your life feels. Your life is not great. Or appearances can be deceiving in the other way as well. Life may not seem so great. Your family may be a mess. You may be out of work. You may not have many friends. But if God is present, how can life not be great, no matter what it may look like or feel like? Appearances can be deceiving. Just like in a simple baptism where a miracle is working. May we nourish our life-giving faith with life-giving food. Because we know what we need to do to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.